everybody, this is Dan Strollo with the In Control Family Foundation, and I welcome you back to our Safe Driving Podcast. Jeremy Randall is here with me again today. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Dan. Hello, Emily, and hello, everybody listening. And we do have Emily Stein with us today from Safe Roads Alliance. And Emily, before we get going, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your organization and why you're here? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I am the president of Safe Roads Alliance, and we're a small nonprofit based in Massachusetts. Um, and our mission is is quite simple. Our goal is to save lives through better driving. We formed as a nonprofit in 2006, and I've been involved in the organization for the past four and a half years. Yeah, we're, we're really excited that we have this parent supervised driving program that has been around since 2011, and we currently distribute it for free for parents of teen drivers in 26 states. Um, and we're trying to bring it into as many states as, as we can. You know, it's, it's, it's a really valuable resource for parents uh, at this phase in their teenager's life when they are learning to drive. So a couple other things we our organization focuses on. We were really excited that we we were successful in passing a hands-free law uh, in Massachusetts um, just a couple months ago. It actually goes into effect today, April 1st. We also work with families across the state who have been affected by by crashes. Um, so that kind of brings the, the reality home of how it is so important to be that safe, mindful driver who, and, and why we're here, um, because it, it has been really challenging, you know, that really important reminder of, of why, why we do the work we do. Uh, we don't want to meet any more families who've lost a teen driver, who've lost a relative or a loved one. So we, we developed this guidebook in, in 2011 um, because there was a lack of a lack of resources for parents in this phase. I think a lot of parents relied on driver's ed, but didn't have the tools themselves to to teach their their child. You know, a lot of research has stated that the more the parents involved, the less likely the risk is to to be involved in a car crash. Absolutely, and, and I'll just say. First and foremost, uh, congratulations on the hands-free bill, because I know you worked tirelessly for that, and um, there were some other folks involved, but I I really did see you spending a lot of sleepless hours um, <laughs> dedicated to that, so congrats. And it, with regards to the parental involvement piece, this is something, you know, way back, probably 2009, 2000. Eight, there was conversations with the folks running Safe Roads Alliance then that we were sending all these parents out without any tools to do 40 hours with their teens. And as the father of a couple of teens, the last thing I need is no guidance when I'm trying to deal with what they're doing. So uh, hopefully the role we'll, we'll play you know, today in, in these podcasts is to help parents along with the, the guide that's been produced to, to approach this the right way. With that, our goal really is to use this guide as a template and, you know, to start things off, Emily, I, I guess I'd ask you, uh, where, you know, what do you recommend kind of before you even get behind the wheel for parents to be considering when it comes to working with their teens? Um, well, I think, I think the first thing is even before your teen hits that age where they can, they can get their permit, um, it's important to, to think about how you are as a role model, um, and and something called do something called commentary driving. 
Um, so I, I do this with my eight-year-old sometimes. Um, you know, as I'm approaching a roundabout, I'm actually saying out loud, okay, well, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm I'm looking for and preparing for. Um, so it's really great for parents to to switch their their mindset, both so their child is watching them, no matter how old the child is. Um, but especially teenagers, as they're thinking about becoming future drivers, they're watching their parents. Um, and the second thing is is that commentary driving driving is really helpful because it it makes the parent aware themselves of of their their habits, um, and it also will help get the teenager aware of the rules of the road, um, and and kind of the the ins and outs of of, of driving. Um, we also want to start with saying, try to make it fun. You know, I remember when I was learning to drive, it was, it was a very stressful process for my parents and it's not easy, but I think if you can try to both enjoy the learning process, then, then it it can just be, um, instead of something that, that people are really not looking forward to, there are ways to make it fun. So we want to, you know, focus on that. And also it is important to, keep your emotions in check. Um, you know, I think it's important when you think about distracted driving, um, there was a study that came out a couple of years ago, talked about emotional driving and how emotions can get in the way. So if there are stressors at home or, you know, your teenager is, is really upset about something that happened in school, maybe that's not the time for them to drive. So it's, you know, just kind of preparing preparing for the right time to choose to, to start these supervised driving hours. Emily, that's really good and important stuff. Jeremy, anything you would add to, you know, either being a role model or, or things to avoid? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the things you, you want to make sure you do, just like Emily said, is know that you are that role model and you always have been. So as you get closer to that permit age where you're going to have to be riding along with them, Make sure, and, and that might be why you're listening to this now, make sure that you know what is legal and what is the safest practice. And one thing I think we've skipped over so far, I want to make sure that everybody that's listening has the opportunity to actually have this guide in front of them and sort of follow along with us. So, uh, Emily, if you don't mind just telling everybody where they can find this uh, from state to state and then you know probably find it on the internet as well. Absolutely. So you can get there um, by going to www.psdponline.com. Or you can also type in the parents supervised driving program.com. And then there's a tab for parents. And from there, you can click on your state. And it will bring you right there. So we're like I said, we're in 26 states. We have an official agreement with the DMVs or um, you know transportation Department of Transportation. But most of the states we have brought in their driving manuals. So most every state should have up to date information. And then from there, there is an online version of the guide, and you can also download the PDF as well. They can also find it on the Safe Road Alliance website as well, too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you can go to saferoadsalliance.org and um, there'll be a link to the to the program from there as well. Awesome. So I, I want to kind of pick up where you left off as far as, you know, being that role model. And you touched on, I think, all the key points. I, uh, my driving background, I've been driving for, I guess, Jesus, 20 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. But, um, and I've been an instructor within control for about 10 years. And one of the things that 
every student that I come across, every newer driver that I come across kind of says about riding with their parents is they make me so nervous. And, you know, generally in our class, we try to do the opposite, obviously, but I want to make sure that we get an understanding that these new drivers, when they are behind the wheel, especially for the first couple of times, they've never driven before. We sort of take for granted um, how easy it is when just sort of say, okay, now do this. And they're like, I don't know how, or they're scared to. So checking your emotions at the door, staying very relaxed and sort of having that mindset that they really don't know what to do yet. And it's all new to them. Uh, is something that's really, really important. And just to touch on anybody that's listening that happens to have much younger children, the more you can get them behind the wheel of anything from a a go-kart for maybe teenagers or, you know, people 12, uh, 13 to, um, uh, not Hot Wheels, what is that called? Uh, Power Wheels cars, or even just on bikes, tricycles, anything that moves that they can steer and control in some way helps better prepare them. But really nothing uh, fully is going to compare to being behind the wheel of a, a heavy vehicle. Full yeah, Jeremy, I, I'm blown away by how many students we have, as well as uh, peers in my teens, uh, have never operated any sort of vehicle whatsoever. And very simple concepts that we we just know instinctively at this point, they really don't understand. So that's a great call. If you, whether it's a rider lawnmower or some sort of vehicle, just the earlier, the better. And in, you know, my case, I did get my kids to places where they could legally operate a car um, off road, not on public streets, but tried to get them started, you know, before they were teenagers, just so that they had the basics down um, before we got to it. And I'll speak a little bit to emotions, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about role modeling. But on the emotional side, sometimes there's one parent who is less you know, prone to freaking out than the other. That might be the better person to start out with the driving hours. It, it is not a time to talk about hun- homework that hasn't been done. It's not a time to talk about boyfriends or girlfriends that you may have concerns over. It is just a time to sit and help them control the vehicle, no matter what simple task it is. And you really do have to keep that in, in, in check. And then finally, I, I would add in the role model side of things, I think we mentioned in our first episode, but once they flip that car seat and they're watching you, you know, from staring at the out the back window to staring out the front of the car, they're picking up things that you're doing. So we may dedicate an entire podcast to things to think about when your kids are even younger. But everything you do, whether you speed, whether you yell at cars, whether you pick up that phone when you shouldn't be, um, all these different things on top of, oftentimes you don't even know the laws. Not everybody appreciates what they're supposed to do with a rotary or how you're supposed to react to certain lights or signs. You really want to be on your game because learning how to drive on today's roads is more difficult than it was 20 years ago in Jeremy's case or substantially longer in my case. Jeremy, anything else you may have missed for Emily? I I was going to say, I think that the thing that stuck with me is is for parents, be the driver you want your team to be. And I think if that can stick in in, in parents' heads while they're, while they're driving their, their teenagers, while they're, you know, while they're, they're being watched by, by their passengers, have that stick in your head. Well, from here, I think I want to, within your guide, you start off with a list of tips. And uh, maybe if we can just go through those. And Emily, I'll let you start. Yeah. So the first first and most important thing is make sure not only should you wear your seatbelt, but everyone in the car. That should be the rule number one from the very beginning. Everyone in the, in the car must be buckled up. Dan, as you touched on, 
just put the phone away. Um, even if, if hands-free is a law, it's still the best practice to just turn the phone off, put it on silent and, and have it out of sight. Because that gives that clear message to, to teen drivers that this is not something you can be doing when you're driving. And then Emily, I'll, I'll go a step further. Just one of the recommendations we have when we talk to middle school parents is to start having them have their teen put the phone away when they're 14 or 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, have them sitting in the front seat with you, do that driving, as you described, where you're driving together, but maybe a little bit more aggressively now that they're up front with you. But both of you should have your phones nowhere in sight and muted so that you can't hear the ringing. And And the, the problem we get into is, and in, in arguably, if you're a parent and you don't take the distracted driving thing super seriously, uh, you might think, well, you're capable of driving and talking on the phone at the same time. And, and I'd argue against that, but I can promise you that your teen driver shouldn't be doing it at all. They shouldn't be talking even with hands-free device because their brains just aren't ready for that kind of activity. So again, we'll talk more about the distracted driving thing, but it can start long before they actually get behind the wheel. Jeremy, I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about seatbelts too. Yeah, that was something I, as soon as you guys started talking about that, it was like, oh, we got, we got to talk more about this. Um, historically in the United States, we tend to talk about seatbelts as a sort of reactive tool. They help you if you were to crash. And they absolutely do that. But I want to make sure I sort of set a president right off the bat here that seatbelts are so much more than that. Not only do they give you sort of a, okay, driving is dangerous, so I need to wear this sort of mindset. So you already have sort of a safety mindset going into it. But they actually do a lot more than that. They're physically holding you in place, which is going to allow you and in the future, your new driver to have better control over the vehicle itself. Right? By holding you in position, that means every uh, input you put into the steering wheel is, is really exactly what you wanted. But if you were driving down the road without it on and a, uh, a child ran out in front of your car, you've really got two options at avoiding hitting that, that child. It's, it's braking or steering. And if you are not held in place as part of that vehicle behind the wheel, then your body's going to be moving around as you try to avoid them. And we're going to talk more about this later on, but I just want you thinking about that, right? With your seatbelt on, holding you in place as part of the car, you're still in that proper position to add a little bit of steering or a little bit more or less or whatever you need, but you're going to have that control. And so stop thinking about seatbelts reactively. They're a proactive tool to avoid crashes, whether it's a primary or a secondary law in your state or whatever it is, you're going to crash less and your new driver is going to certainly crash less with that seatbelt on versus unbuckled. And that goes to the modeling stuff as well. If you aren't wearing it, your new driver is going to be less likely to wear it in the future. Maybe you force them to wear it during you know the time with you on their permit, but then they're still less likely to wear it in the future if it's not something you've always done. And it's never too late to change though, just like anything else. You start wearing it now and make a big deal about it, then they become more and more likely to wear it in the future as well. Thanks, Jeremy. That, that's great. And, and Emily, I, I'm going to cover some of the other things that we find on your introduction before we jump over to the vehicle control for parents who are helping their teens. I guess a lot of this speaks to that keeping a cool, calm, and collective uh, attitude while you're a parent sitting in that passenger seat and recognizing that you know when a mistake is made, you have to be calm about it. When a when you're giving them the instructions, you have to be very calm and concise. It's amazing. And again, having gone through this with two of my children, there have been situations where had to make sure that we stopped and got ourselves off the road and revisited. When I tell you to brake, 
you have to break. There's been a couple of close calls. And one of the disadvantages to being a parent and not being a driving school is that you don't have that brake in the passenger side to stop your vehicle. Any parent that invested in that for the new driver is impressive to me. But, you know, you're driving around and trying to make sure that, you, you know, there's, and for the most part, there are very few crashes with the parent in the passenger seat, not just as a permitted driver, but once you're a licensed driver, those statistics are very low. But you have to have a plan between the two of you. They have to listen to you and you have to be concise and clear. And, and you know, when they make a mistake, you just educate them on what the mistake was and try not to make a huge deal about it. When you're working with your teen, one of the recommendations you guys have is to have these lessons be consistent. You know, repetition is learning. And so you, you want to repeat things and you also don't want to introduce new concepts that might conflict with what you were doing previously. One of the recommendations I tend to have for parents is to go to, in the state of Massachusetts, we have a required parent night. And we would love it if, this is for traditional driver's ed, we would love it if parents would go to those parent nights early on in the experience with the driving school. Um, you'll probably learn their approach to teaching your teens a little bit, learn some things you didn't know, and again, avoid a conflict. Jeremy mentioned before, you know, you really need to know the rules of the road. The last thing you want to do is tell your teen there's a particular law that it turns out that's not how the law works and the driving school ends up kind of conflicting you. And uh, the only other thing that I, from this list I'd make sure that we emphasize here, and I'll invite you two to add anything that you think I may have missed, but integrate different driving situations, whether it's driving at night. Uh, if you happen to live in a part of the country where it snows, trying to get them out on the road or at least in a parking lot, doing a little bit of maneuvering in the snow so that they can feel what it's like, um, assuming you've got a vehicle that it can safely operate in the snow a little taking them out when it's raining. Um, we went for a drive to New York where my son was on his permit. He got to drive to the end of the state line in Massachusetts and it had, was, it had been raining torrential rain and he was following trucks and he kept telling me every time I get behind a truck, I can't see. I said, well, then don't go behind a truck. Very simple things like that, that they don't get a chance to experience without that uh, opportunity. Yeah, I think that's that's something that um, we really focused on on in in the guidebook is this the sequence of these skills because the progression in these skills is really important. So absolutely, I think it's so great. You know, the more the more road conditions, the more types of driving, night driving, early morning driving with with solar glare. You know, kids need to have these experiences. Um, but it can be really overwhelming in the beginning to, to think of all of all the, the conditions they need to drive through. So the great part of the guide is that we, we go through from driving on a very quiet street all the way to highway driving, driving in different conditions. So it's, you know, make sure your team is comfortable before you get to that, that driving in a blizzard. <laughs> Emily, you, you mentioned uh, previously when we talked, but I don't think in this podcast, about the app that you guys have. And I think that captures some of this data, like time of day and weather conditions, so that you can look back and see how often they got a chance to drive in the rain. Is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's called Road Ready, and it's an app that you can get either at the uh, Apple Store or Google Play. And it, it's pretty simply, the goal is just to have an easy way to log your driving time. You know what we found were when when parents were were required to to log and you know fill in a paper log, they might forget to do it. They might fudge the time a little bit or scramble towards the end when when their teen was was about to get their license. So this is just a way to digitally log your 
driving time. Um, it, it records nighttime driving, so you can get that that taken care of. Um, and then it will send you badges um, through the app when you reach your goals. So yeah, it's it's a pretty great, easy, free app um, that we recommend all, all parents download. And you can find more information about that app at roadreadyapp.com. Awesome. And Jeremy, anything else before we go into the vehicle control piece? I, I just think that app is an absolutely great idea because it's so easy to lose track of how often you've driven it. You know, this is going to be potentially over six months to a year of time. And the more time behind the wheel, Dan, I think I've heard you say this. I think you might know the stat better than me, but the more time behind the wheel, the better. Yeah. So the the concept behind experience behind the wheel the more time they can drive with somebody in the passenger seat that is an experienced driver, preferably, you know, guardian or traditional driver's ed, far less likely they are to crash. The weird part is, you know, it's hard. I, I got a hundred hours in with my daughter in a matter of seven months. My son has basketball and apparently likes girls and does all these crazy things that keep him busy. And uh, I'm struggling. You know, it has been almost six months. He's got a ways to go even just on his traditional driver's ed hours, but we're struggling to be at 20 hours. And so he will not drive until he gets to 100. And it doesn't mean we get to go for a 40-hour drive in one direction and turn around and come back. He's got to do this over the course of different days. So it, it is a struggle to do, but it's huge towards avoiding crashes. I want to segue into the vehicle control piece because uh, we don't want to have this podcast go too, too long. And Jeremy, of everybody on the phone, you have certainly spent more time in the passenger seat as an instructor and can probably speak to the various things here that are specific to kind of keeping both of you safe behind the wheel. Can you talk a little bit about the recommendations they have and things you might add? Sure. So I've been an instructor um, in actual the basic driver's ed level actually on the road and with in control, uh, which is more high speed crash prevention, you know, maneuvering. So in obviously very extreme situations and just behind the wheel normally, I don't have a young driver who I've actually helped uh, teach drive as well myself in my life, um, like both of you guys, or at least Dan, you do. Um, But I really want to talk about sitting in that passenger seat and making sure that you actually have some control of the vehicle yourself. So I would start with vision and awareness, making sure that your eyes are always on that swivel, realizing that this new driver is driving on your license, right? And so really you are still the main driver, licensed driver in that vehicle, and you know where to, what to pay attention to from, from your experience. So making sure you're always scanning the area, uh, even behind you. So one of the recommendations in the guide is actually using the passenger mirror um, kind of like the vanity mirror and trying to you know bring it down and angle it so you actually have a little bit of a rear view mirror yourself. I think that was a great suggestion that I, I hadn't really thought of uh, a whole lot. So those are the main two things I would start with as far as just awareness overall and making sure that you have good vision. But then I want to make sure we touch on how do you get the car to stop or remain in control if your young driver was to sort of freak out. So let's say something you know happened and they just sort of let go of the wheel you need to make sure that you're comfortable actually holding that wheel. And in the guide, what they're recommending is you have a licensed driver drive and practice it a couple times. I think this is an absolutely great tip to be able to do all these things just to see how it's going to work out. 
I know not everybody will, but it really is a good plan. And so to be able to reach over and hold that wheel straight or put fine turning left and right into that wheel, if they were to hit the gas instead of the brake, one of the reactions you can have is actually tapping the shift lever in an automatic transmission vehicle from drive into neutral. And I just want to make sure I point out it goes in without you having to push the shift knob button. And so I don't recommend you hit that button at all because you could actually put it into park or reverse or anything if you were to in some cars. And, and obviously that could be a big mess and cause a lot of damage. So from drive to neutral, it, it slides in without you having to push the button. So practice that a couple times. Realize that all that will happen at that point, the engine revs, but you lose the power going to the wheels. So you're not going any faster at least. And then if you have an emergency, uh, what's called an emergency brake, really it's a parking brake in between the seats. If it's something you can push, whether it's an actual lever that you're pulling up on, I would again suggest you actually, in this case, you would hold that button down on there so it doesn't lock in place, but you would use that to stop the car and you should know what that feels like ahead of time. And some cars that have that button you push or pull up on where it's more of an electrical system, that actually works as well. And so in a safe area in a parking lot with an experienced licensed driver, try those things so that you feel that much more comfortable if something was to go wrong, that you could handle it. So, you know, staying relaxed is always a good thing. Uh, and Jeremy, I'll add on the braking piece, you know, not everybody's going to have that access to a brake of most or many cars. It's going to be a foot pedal. But just that idea of having to pop the car into neutral to reduce the speed in, in a situation where if they haven't, if they're not stopping, but you don't want them to go faster because they might, you know, the brakes are still going to work if you're in neutral, but if they accidentally jam on the accelerator, you could find yourself in more harm. So th that's a good practice to kind of get into if you get nervous. And I have certainly taken advantage of that. But in general, it, you know, I think the progression that Emily talked about earlier is what makes it easy for parents or easier for parents. They can feel a little bit more confident because their teen will start off with some very basic skills. And I hope that you get to take advantage of a traditional driver's ed program as well and let them get in some of the first few hours uh, of on-road driving so that you're not necessarily fearing. What, what tends to be, from my experience with a couple drivers now, tends to be the hardest parts is them understanding the edges of the lane and either being way too far off to the right and, and heading off into mailbox territory or getting a little too close to oncoming traffic. If you're not the person who spends much time in the passenger seat, Get some time in the passenger seat with another licensed driver and get used to driving in that side because you'll find that it does sort of, even with an experienced driver who knows what they're doing, sometimes certain roads feel like you're a little too far one way or another. And it would be a shame if you're given misdirection to a new driver just because you're not used to sitting in that passenger seat. Emily, anything you'd want to add before we jump into the anti-lock brakes, airbags, and hand position? No, I, I think that last tip is really helpful and important. Um, and I know some parents are, are not comfortable in the passenger seat, <laughs> but but I think this is a really good time to to start you know to start being comfortable. So it is really important to to do that. So no, I think you are not wrong. I, I consider myself. I spent very little time in the driver in the passenger seat prior to my sixteen year old getting her permit, and um, it, it it took. Not it didn't easy. I wanted to be there for her, but. I don't still don't quite know how I was able to hold it together. Jeremy, I think we're in your territory again here with ABS brakes. I, I imagine a lot of people out there don't know what that means and uh, can't quite tell us what the benefits are, but if you could share. Sure. An ABS braking system is simply an anti-lock braking system. It prevents the brakes on your vehicle from locking and the car sliding. 
you wouldn't want the car to slide because, well, it increases your stopping distance by losing the grip and traction on the road surface. It increases stopping by roughly 25%. And so that's not a good thing. And with the wheels locked, you also don't have any steering control over the vehicle. So this system, the anti-locking system for the brakes is, is great. To be able to utilize it properly, if your goal is to get the car to stop in the shortest distance, is to hit the brake pedal as hard as you possibly can. So if your vehicle has an ABS braking system, what you might have been taught to pump the brakes or even threshold braking, right? Pumping the brakes has really never been the best thing to do, actually. It, it creates an imbalance in the vehicle and you're, you're not really getting very effective braking throughout the, the pumping scenario. So there's an easy way to tell if your vehicle has an ABS braking system. First, if it's a 2012 model or newer, it's required to have it. If you have a car from the 2000s, it's very likely it has it. If you have a car from the 90s, it's not very likely you have it. But there's an easy way to tell. With the car turned off, it's in park, it's turned off. When you first turn that key to the start position, and actually you could just go ahead and start the car, you should scan that dashboard and it kind of lights up like a Christmas tree. And you're looking for a light that says ABS or anti-lock. Yellow, orange, or red, circle, no circle, ABS or anti-lock. If you have a light like that, then you have an ABS braking system. Nothing like that at all, then you don't. In a car without an ABS system, uh, you'd want to use a technique called threshold braking. And I don't think we're going to go into that right now, but you can look that up online and we'll get into it in future podcasts as well. But with an ABS system, you would just hit that brake pedal as hard as you can. They cannot hit it too hard, but it does create an obnoxious grinding noise. It sounds awful. Sounds like something is uh, wrong with a car. It's not. You want to hear that noise. And the pedal is going to pulsate and sort of fight back under their foot. But that's the brakes um, adding and removing brake pressure to get you stopped as effectively as possible. So I just want to make sure we understand that it's no longer a good technique to, to show your new driver pumping the brakes. Dan, anything else you want me to touch on there? I'm trying to keep it brief. I could go into this for hours. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I think you've covered. Emily, anything from your perspective, uh, having graduated from our program as well as driven around for plenty of years yourself? Well, no, I think that's that's the best part of your program is actually being in the car and feeling it and hearing it because, you know, the hope is that you won't have to have an emergency braking situation, you know, every day on the road, but you will at some point. So I think it's really good to, to be in that closed course or, you know, with, with your parent and teen as you advance to practice that so you can actually experience what, what this system sounds like. Jeremy, I think for me personally, I might swap the two next concepts and just talk about what the proper hand position and then why. Yeah. So uh, in cars of the past, you have a car from 1960s or 70s and even the early 80s, and you were told to have your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel, uh, like many of us were. That is the correct hand position for those vehicles. If you have something from the 90s, 2000s, or, you know, obviously 2010s or, you know, 2020, geez, uh, the hand position has changed to nine and three. The manufacturers want your hands to be at nine and three, and they design the vehicles around that. So from that nine and three kind of directly across from each other, you're going to, you're going to notice there's a bar coming across the outside of that wheel that you normally hold. And the, if you were to bring your hands up to the top of the wheel, with your thumbs inside of the steering wheel and slide them down. When they finally hit that, that center uh, area that's connecting the, the actual circle of the wheel, that's actually called the thumb rail. And that's going to be in most vehicles very close to actually nine and three. If it's a little bit higher, that's all right. It's still, that's the goal for your, your thumb to actually be tucked in the wheel at that point. And it gives you a lot more control of the vehicle. 
it gives you a lot more an increased uh, turning radius. So you're steering, you add more steering input without actually getting your hands to fully cross. And it keeps your hands out of the way for the airbag as well. All right. The airbags are no longer a big giant circle. They tend to have indentations built in at the proper hand position. And for these newer cars, again, it's nine and three or as close to nine and three as you can be. The last thing it does from, from that hand position, it allows a lot of the car controls to be very literally right at your fingertips. So you'll notice the windshield wiper controls, the turn signals, your radio controls and other controls end up being right either at your thumb or right at the tips of your fingers. And so it's just, I hear so many new drivers see, see, you know, turn around during our class and say, see mom, see dad, I told you it was nine and three, that sort of thing. So it's one of those things where you really want to get that information right the first time. So the the new drivers don't have to kind of change halfway through their uh, early driving career. You know, one of the greatest things to be added to uh, vehicles since ABS brakes, and, and I guess maybe a little before some of the systems have been in cars, uh, are these airbags. And uh, if you keep your hand position at this nine and three, you can avoid that airbag if it happens to deploy. And, uh, you know, that is one of those uh, depending on the age of your car, it's going to go off at somewhere between 250 and 500 miles per hour. And if your hands are over the airbag, you're likely to strike yourself in the face at some speed, you know, between 250 and 500 miles per hour. And you can do a lot of damage to yourself that way. But if uh, if you keep your hands out of the way, those airbags really do protect you. And, and God forbid you get into a crash and your hands are there, at least the, you, you were saved, you know, completely from the airbag, but you can really hurt yourself if your hands are in the wrong place. So that's part of the reason for encouraging this nine and three and just appreciating that that airbag is not just in the steering wheel. You're, you've got passengers who sometimes people like to put their feet up on the, the, uh, the dashboard. And we've had students unable to train with us because they blew out their ankles after a low speed crash where an airbag deployed and they were the passenger in a car. And you just have to be aware of those safety things in the vehicle that could actually do damage if used improperly. And it's another reason why you want to wear your seatbelt. And again, I think we'll probably talk about seatbelts a number of times in this podcast. But with that, unless anybody wants to tell me I'm wrong, I think we did a good job going through these first couple sections. And Emily, I'd like to invite you back to talk about impaired driving and distracted driving in a, in a future podcast. And uh, I appreciate everything you brought with you today. Okay, great. Well, thanks for having me on. Jeremy, we'll see you soon. Thank you guys both. Thank you to everyone who listened. I hope you enjoy this series of podcasts and we look forward to hearing from you with any questions or interest you have in training with us in the future. Thank you.